Hello, I'm Mark Sweeney, and this episode of I'm the Gun, I've found my way into the Bloodlines Best Event Ever Network, where I'll be joining in with a few other brave souls in the comics, blog, and podcasting community, and celebrating... Celebrating the right word? Well, maybe acknowledging the 1993 DC Comics crossover event, Bloodlines. This episode, I'll be recapping Chapter 1 of Bloodlines from Lobo, Annual Number 1, and later on, I'll be recommending where else you can look for some great Bloodlines coverage. But first, by way of introduction, going way back to the seminal event from 1985-1986, Crisis on Infinite Earths, DC has had a tradition of annual events that would pull in various stars from its entire line of superhero comics. They'd gather these heroes, sometimes the villains too, to face some grand menace threatening the world, or sometimes the universe as we know it. At this point in time, 1993 I mean, DC was using its titles Annuals to organize these events. Annuals were of course those extra thick comics that came out, usually in the summertime, and where for a while nothing of any consequence ever seemed to happen. That changed in 1991 when DC used their annuals to tell the story of that year's crossover event Armageddon 2001. Armageddon was actually begun in its own got its own issue number one, which was pretty much like an annual, at least in size and price, and the story concluded in a bookending issue number two at summer's end. The bulk of the story was told in the company's annuals. Armageddon must have been a must have proved successful because in 1992, each title's annual saw its characters face the evil of Eclipso in the crossover event Eclipso, The Darkness Within, which was also begun and concluded in its own two-issue bookend series. 1993's event, Bloodlines, ran through the annuals, but the story's format was changed up a little bit, where the event is kicked off in, in one of the individual annuals, in this case Lobo Annual number one, and it ran through 22 other annuals, some of which will be covered in other fabulous blog posts and podcast episodes, which you'll find linked on my blog, imthegun.blogspot.com. Yeah, but it was concluded in, in a two-issue series of its own called Bloodbath. Now, Bloodline's reputation over the years eh, ain't the best, and I think a lot of this has to do with what came out of it. Plot, basically, is that some real nasty big alien parasites come to Earth and start killing people by sucking their spinal fluid out of the back of their necks. But one of the hooks of the story, I guess you'd call it that, is that some of the aliens' victims didn't die but were instead turned into super beings. So these annuals weren't just telling an invasion type story, they were supposedly introducing new superstars to the DC universe. The only thing was, these new characters were, with very few exceptions, complete flops. And this, in some cases, is a shame and may really just be a sign of the times. A lot of these characters had just a little too much early 90s extremeness that just didn't allow them to thrive beyond their tiny moment in the spotlight. In fact, I'd say a year removed from Bloodlines, you'd never see many of the New Bloods, as they were called, uh, ever again. Is it fair to say that the stories in Bloodlines sucked just because of the characters they birthed? Did Millennium suck just because New Guardians? Never really liked that argument. Uh, stories can be good or suck plenty on their own merit. 
So hopefully this little blog slash podcast crossover we have going can dig up and re-examine some of these stories. Do they have merit? Are we entertained? I'm going to spoil things a little bit with my opinion right here. I'm covering two issues for this project, Lobo and the Justice League International Annual, and I say yes, there are at least two decent stories that were part of Bloodlines. All right, so Lobo, Annual Number 1. This issue is a little odd in that uh, Lobo didn't even have his own series when, when it came out. He'd had a couple of minis, but annuals were usually supplementary to an ongoing series, and Lobo's was still a few months away. But whatever the case, Lobo was a, a popular character, and DC must have thought that a main man annual was as good a place as any to kick off its summer crossover. And they were right, I wasn't a Lobo fan, I'm still not, uh, but the prospect of a DC slugfest in the making had me lining up at the comic shop to pick this baby up, and it's an enjoyable, gross, disgusting read. <laughs> like quintessential Lobo, at least that's my assumption, and uh, it's all I really need of him in my collection. Kind of the way I feel about James Bond movies. I'm not, not a fan, uh, but I really love the movie Goldfinger, and as far as I'm concerned, everything you need to know, the essence of James Bond just seems to be boiled down, and it's contained within that film. I don't feel as if I need to see or know much more than that. So this annual tells the story called Hounds of Blood, and it's by the creative team of writer Alan Grant, who'd done loads of things, a lot of Batman and Judge Dredd, but by now, I guess, he was THE Lobo guy. Illustrated by Christian Alamy, whose style is, I think, perfect for the story. I'm not sure if he designed the alien parasites we see here for the first time, but uh, his detailed work gives them a definitive look that it's what I see in my mind's eye when I think about these aliens, which honestly isn't all that much. <laughs> We've got three colorists, which is strange. Not sure if I've ever seen that before. And Carla Fini, Jean D'Angelo, and Stuart Chaifetz. It's lettered by Gaspar Saladino and edited by Frank Pitteris and Dan Raspler. Cover's interesting in how it sort of subverts the title of the actual magazine, placing it above the huge Bloodlines logo, which I actually like. The title Lobo Annual is in a smaller typeface above. It's the exact opposite of how the cover logos worked on the previous two annual crossover events, where each book was allowed to keep its distinctive logo writ large across the top of the cover, like normal, but it would have a smaller Armageddon 2001 or Eclipso the Darkness Within logo above the title. As a branding strategy, the large Bloodlines logo really pushed the crossover aspect of each issue, promising that you're, in fact, holding in your hands only one part of a much larger story. I should also add that to Bloodlines on the Lobo Annual is added the subtitle Outbreak, as this event was pushed out in four phases with names that uh, <laughs> could have been early image characters. Outbreak, Deathstorm, Earth Plague, and bloodbath. Both of the issues I'll be covering are from the outbreak phase, so you'll be hearing more about the others from my partners in crime. Anyway, the whole thing kicks off with Lobo in Legion headquarters. This is Legion, L-E-G-I-O-N. Legion 
It's an interplanetary peacekeeping force that uh, spun out of an earlier DC event called Invasion. Lobo is a member of this organization, which from here on out in this episode I'll just be referring to as Legion, not spelling it out. Uh, and we see Lobo, blowtorch in hand, in the middle of an interrogation. Seems Lobo's prized space hog, the badass Cycles, is to cruise around, has been stolen by the Poiple Gang, as in the whole rhythm section was the. A member of this gang is about to be questioned by the main man. This torture slash interrogation is interrupted by Strata, another member of Legion who is there to deliver. Lobo a summons from the organization's leader-slash-founder, Vril Dox. Dox, ruthless, manipulative, and cold, those were his good qualities, assigns Lobo to a small squad led by Layla, a punked-out, mohawked, stiletto, thigh-high, boot-wearing newbie officer who arouses something in Lobo despite his resistance to work with his team. He forcefully tries to steal a kiss. She knees him in the groin. Layla, tough with her purple hair, kind of reminds me of Leela from Futurama, though. Layla has two eyes. Docs wants Lobo and Layla's team to investigate an apparent rift in space witnessed by a random space liner. Images captured of the event may show kind of suggest that a ship might be coming through the rift and this uncertainty has legion on the case Lobo just can't seem to get excited about this mission until Docs tells him that the Poiple gang has been sighted in the area as well so despite bristling under a rookie's command Lobo agrees to go they get one final order from Docs however any aliens they find are to be brought back alive so off they go through hyperspace to the area of the rift, but we see that the Poiple gang has gotten there first. Gangs made up of humans and humanoid-like purple dinosaurs that look like the uh, hook-handed pirate-talking Captain Poiple himself. Gang is ordered to board the giant ship floating in space. It's a, this enormous egg-shaped thing that is assumed to have come through the rift in space. It dwarfs the Poiple Gang ship and has a Geiger-esque look to it, egg-shaped, as I said, floating vertically. It's surrounded by a skeletal cage colored green, so it's hard to tell if it's bone or some kind of plant matter. A small party of the gang finds its way to the surface of the giant egg and begins cutting its way in with lasers, and this is just as Lobo and Layla's team arrives. They see the Poiple gang trying to cut their way in, and with some strange logic, Layla orders Lobo to shoot them off the giant ship's surface. An officer asks if they should be arrested, maybe, and Layla says Docs didn't specify, but as they have no room in their small ship for prisoners, she allows Lobo to settle his score with the gang and pick them off with the ship's lasers. This makes me think how Layla planned to follow Dox's orders to bring back any aliens they found alive in such a small ship. But this comic is a huge bloodbath, and it starts right here. Lobo mows down a bunch of pirates and manages a few pot shots at Captain Poiple's ship, damaging its engines. Aboard, Poiple and his first mate Smee don spacesuits and flee their damaged ship. 
Smee has to kill a fellow shipmate to get the last remaining suit showing just what kind of pirates we're dealing with here. Every man for himself. Arr. Killing all those pirates gets Lobo all hot and bothered, but when he tries to make another pass at Layla, she uses a skull necklace she has to hypnotize Lobo into acting like an obedient dog. His mind is actually resisting, but his body can't help but obey. It's kind of a funny situation as Layla tells him to sit and bark, and he does. So the Legion team boards the egg ship, where they encounter a couple of pirates who manage to make it in, I guess. Lobo makes short work of them before Layla decides to split the team, making it easier to explore the giant ship. A team led by the dreadlocked Zembler will try to find crew quarters in the engine room, while Layla, Lobo, and a few others will attempt to locate the bridge. Deep within the ship, however, we see its occupants stir. They've been in hibernation, it seems, from their long journey from wherever it is they come from. Another dimension, another universe, who knows. But they emerge from giant pods having that same look as the outside of the ship in its plant-like, metal, bone, animal, vegetable, mineral... All the tech in the ship looks has that similar look. And you get a good look at the aliens. They're big. They walk on their hind legs and they have heads that resemble dinosaur skulls. But their bodies are kind of armor-plated. There's a handful of them and they all have slight variations to the looks, giving them a little bit of individuality. A couple of them are named here on the first page that we see them. Gamir is red. He's got long horns on top of his head, and he's got bat-like wings. Slod is yellow. There's one that's purple with a, a red head, no wings, but it's got an orange lion-like mane and beard. <laughs> and there's a blue one with translucent insect-like wings. Plus a couple others that we'll get to know over the course of this event. One thing we do know, though, is that they're awake, and they're hungry. We see that Captain Poipel and the red-bearded Smee have made it aboard. And as they make their way through the tunnel, Smee thinks he hears voices through a portal. Poipel does the Captain Lee thing and lets his mate investigate alone, saying he'll be right here waiting as the portal closes behind Smee. What Smee sees shocks him a little bit. He's greeted by himself, standing with two of the big aliens as a double of Smee, or at least his head. Seems these aliens have shape-shifting abilities where they can mimic humanoid facial features, but their bodies, though slightly more human-scaled when they change shape, still retain that organic armored look. The aliens explain they're travelers from distant parts and they're hungry. Smee takes a shot at them, but is gun is snatched away and crushed to dust by one of the aliens. The one that had assumed Smee's shape begins to morph back into his natural form. This is the purple one with the very Smee-like orange mane. He grabs his victim and proceeds to feed. And This is the MO of these aliens. We see they attack from behind, and this is gross. Their tongues are like ribbed tubes with pincers on the end which grab their victim's neck and they suck the spinal fluid dry. Scary stuff, and that's... That's the end of Smee. Arr. 
This little altercation is overheard on the other side of the portal door by Captain Poipel, who's ready to cut his losses and move on. Smee's screaming is also overheard by the Legion group led by Zembler, who are told by Layla via radio not to investigate till the team can reunite. But it's too late. Zembler's group is found by the aliens and gruesomely slaughtered. Meanwhile, Layla and Lobo's group find what they think is the completely abandoned ship's bridge and its bio-organic computer system. It's what Layla calls a vegetable brain. But they become concerned when they can't raise Zembler on the radio. They rush to investigate and blast open a portal door catch one of the aliens holding the mangled body of Zembler. Ugh. They chase the alien off with heavy fire, but stop when Lobo recognizes one of the Poipo gang, the first mate, Smee. But of course it isn't Smee, it's the shape-change alien who tears into Layla's group from behind. Lobo ends up wounding this alien while the remainder of the group is approached by, from the other side, by beings resembling their dead teammates. So of course the rest of the aliens, using their shape-shifting ability, one of them looks just like Zembler, then they morph and assume their natural forms. One of them, Slod, grabs Layla, puts her in the customary bloodline's kill position, and starts sucking her spinal fluid. Lobo intervenes, however, throwing a grenade down Slod's throat, which blows its head off. The rest of the Legion operatives are killed, so with their food supply dwindled, Lobo manages to chase off the aliens with a blaster. With one of their number dead now, the aliens speak desperately about their mission, and that they can't afford to lose any more now that there are only six of them. One of them cryptically states that their shape-shifting will now be extremely restricted. Not sure what that's about, or if it was ever even followed up on. This little breather in the action lets Lobo take care of some business, with Layla still alive, slung over his shoulder. He's attacked in a tunnel on the way out by Captain Poipel. Some fisticuffs ensue, in which Lobo gains the upper hand, and when Poipel confesses to setting Lobo's stolen chopper on fire, Lobo rips his head off with a, his trusty giant hook. Just then, a couple of the aliens appear around the corner, but to distract them, Lobo callously throws the body of Poipel at them and runs off. He plants a bomb on the wall. As Layla begins to come to, she doesn't seem to remember anything about the recent past. She doesn't even know who she is. And Lobo, ever the opportunist, sees an opening here and again tries to force himself on her, but this time... She instinctively fights back and actually gives Lobo a run for his money. Actually bloodies his nose. There's something different about Layla now. She's stronger, tougher. And as Lobo's bomb timer ticks down and they're forced to beat feet, we find out that Layla can now survive the rigors of space unprotected. The alien bite has changed her. And what we have here is the first of the new bloods. Lobo and Layla are picked up by their tiny Legion cruiser, and Lobo reports in to Dox. Dox is furious that they didn't take any aliens captive, but he's intrigued by Layla's new superpowers. When pressed for more info, Lobo signs off by mooning the camera. <laughs> Crude, but funny. Meanwhile, the alien ship seems to sense the danger it's in, and 
and a mass of green tentacles that wriggle that wriggle over the bomb left by Lobo, and those tentacles absorb most of the explosion. The integrity of the hull is damaged, but even more importantly, the navigation and guidance control is destroyed, so as the aliens discuss their situation, like the discovery that all the beings they just killed, only one, Layla we assume, had what they call acceptable juices, their ship drifts through space, where we don't know. But one of them has a feeling that wherever they end up, they'll find what they need to sustain them as we see the ship pass an American satellite in orbit around Earth. And that's it. The beginning of Bloodlines. To be continued. Now, whatever you think about the crossover as a whole, whatever I think of the crossover as a whole, I've got to admit that this issue is a nice little, nice little slice of sci-fi horror from the alien mold. Like I said earlier, I think Christian Alamy's art is a perfect match for this kind of story. It's bold and detailed, and he can handle the creepy horror elements as well as he handles gore and the funny facial expressions that Lobo has in any given situation, whether it be lust, rage, or indignation. I don't read a lot of dialogue in this podcast, but Alan Grant's Lobo is really funny, funnier than what I'm capable of relating here, and I think this issue is a single and perfect example of the loboness that my collection needs, as I said before. As far as being the first part of a long crossover event, it sets the stage pretty well, kind of providing the template for other stories to follow. Aliens change shape, trick their victims, most of the victims aliens find distasteful, but a select few, only a select few, seem to be just what the aliens need, but that victim doesn't die, they gain superpowers and adopt some ridiculous name. <laughs> Except for Layla, she ends up just going by Layla. And we would actually, we would see her in uh, future issues of Legion and I think she turns up in Lobo, too. Anyway, as a chapter and event, the first chapter, it technically succeeds, and more importantly, as a standalone story, I found it entertaining. If you're at all curious about where the story goes from here, and how other DC heroes and creative teams handle the alien parasites and the New Blood heroes, you should check out the coverage of this event on a couple other fine programs and blogs. Please visit Professor Alan Middleton of the Relatively Geeky Network, found at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com. Check out the latest post on the Coffee and Comics blog at coffeecomicsreading.blogspot.com. The Between the Pages blog at betweenthepages.typepad.com. And the Resurrections, which is usually an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, but now serving the Bloodlines fans community at resurrectionsadamwarlock.tumblr.com. Check those all out for some great Bloodlines content. And uh, please visit my blog, imthegun.blogspot.com, for some images from this issue, as well as a link to another episode I'll be pushing out simultaneously with this one recapping the Justice League International Bloodlines Annual by Gerard Jones, Mike Parabek, and Luke McDonald. Another easy way to keep track of this is to follow along with us by using the best event ever hashtag on Twitter. 
Alright, I want to hear what you have to say about Bloodlines. Contact me at imthegun at gmail.com. Leave a comment on the blog or find me on Twitter where I post as at Mark Sweeney Jr. Also, you can find older episodes of I'm the Gun on iTunes. Most content there you'll find devoted to a couple of the great loves of my comic life, Shannon the She-Devil and the Legion of Superheroes, though there are a few other topics mixed in there. Okay, I'm off for now, so in honor of Bloodlines and the Alien Parasites, Slod, I'm talking to you. Till next time, keep sucking, bastages.